Motors Show, your home for car talk covering the latest news to the greatest views on the biggest names in performance, sports, and just plain cool driving machines. Let's rev up the conversation. Time for Driven Radio Show. Hello to you, the automotive faithful. I am Reverend Hatfield, and welcome to Driven Radio Show, where we bring you the gospel of internal combustion. Here with me in the Driven Radio pulpit is our engineer and co-host, Mr. Mark Groves. Yahoo! We are coming to you from the Temple of All Things Automotive, the Driven Radio Show Studios. Got a big show this week. Our guests are John Ficarra, Ped Watt, Brian Boyd, and Corey Pratt, the madman mind behind Craving Cars on YouTube. John Ficarra is an automotive historian, marketer, walking encyclopedia, former owner of Creative Film Cars, and organizer of the 2904. He owns Ficarra Classics and Drive-A-Go-Go, an automotive adventure company for the ill-advised. Ted Watt is a brilliant photographer who has shot cool cars all over the world and creator of the wildly successful coloring book called The Rally, the enthusiast, the car enthusiast coloring book. Brian Boyd is a great friend, and in addition to being a civil engineer, a nonstop Impala fiend, and a constant hustler who found buyers for two of my cars over the summer, which means I have to continue kissing his ass for years to come. <laughs> And last but certainly not least, returning to the microphone, Mr. Corey Pratt of Craving Cars on YouTube. Gentlemen, welcome to Driven Radio. Yay! Yay! Happy to be here. All right. Nice to be here. I chose to have all of you on the show tonight because I think each of you can speak to the topic of reasons to own a collector car and the argument between emotional reasons versus rational reasons, if there are any. John has been in the business for eons and has owned hundreds of cars for both business and pleasure. Ped has myriad clients, myself included, who own every stripe of cool cars. And Brian moves more classic Chevy iron than a, about anyone else I know. I'm curious, if you had a rational reason to own a collector car, now in your case you owned uh, a movie car business where you provided cars for movies and TV shows, commercials, that sort of thing. Um, right. So certainly business related, but what might be other rational reasons for owning collector cars? Well, I mean, they are an appreciating asset or so you hope they are. I mean, if you take all the emotion out of them, they are just a big hunk of steel that some people have emotions about that gives it value. Right. So, the Honda Accord and a 250 GTO. Uh, the Accord is actually has more physical material. If you took it to a junkyard, they'd give you more money for it. Uh, so it's all the emotion behind that car that gives it its insane value over the Honda Accord. Uh, the rational reason to buy a collector car would be as, as an appreciating asset, you'd buy it as an investment. Um, I usually don't advise people to purely do it that way. Uh, the reason is uh, it's a volatile asset. It could go up. It could not go up. It could go down. I mean, it, anything could, could happen to it. Uh, there's no guarantee unless, of course, you start with something that's already uh, massively recognized as uh, an appreciating classic. Like if you bought a 300 SL, you're never going to lose your butt on that. It's always going to go up a little bit. Um, but you're going to have to be at the higher end of the market for that to work. You're not going to be a guy who bought a $5,000 car, you know, 15 years ago, and you're not going to retire on that. I'm sorry. If it's worth, you, you, if you, if you, if you called it, say you bought, you know, a 928 for five grand and in a few years, 
it's worth a hundred. Uh, that's a really good re return on investment. Uh, but the problem is you made 95 grand, uh, but you spent years keeping it running and together and, and uh, whatever else you had to do to it to make it worth that amount of money. Sure, the, uh, the it, investment may underperform compared to something like uh, buying mutual funds. Right, and and you know, if you a lot of people buy some, they buy a vintage car, and they're like, "Oh, it's honey, it's an investment," and she believes it for a few minutes um, until you start. She starts seeing the boxes come to your front door. <laughs> you like, "Well, what's that?" Well, well, uh, it needs uh, it needs headers. Oh, oh, does it? Okay, yeah. Oh, I had to get some new wheels. I had to get new tires. Oh, blah blah blah. blah. And you don't have to put maintenance into stocks and bonds, right? Um, they will build on themselves over time. I mean, compounding interest will always be stronger than most any automotive buy. Uh, so when I tell a client they they they're hot for a car, and I get lots of guys calling me, and they're like, "I'm hot for this car. Tell me why I shouldn't buy it." <laughs> and I'm the guy who tells them why, um, because even if it is something that seems like a great financial investment, uh, you can't buy that car absent of the emotion it takes to purchase it and to keep it and to live with it if it goes either direction. I don't think they're inseparable. You can try as much as you like, but I don't think you can pry one away from the other, nor should you. So if somebody comes to me and they want to buy, you know, a uh, uh, 289 Cobra, I say, great. Does you love a 289 Cobra? I'm like, well, I got a really good deal. And I'm like, well, then you should flip it, you know, wait and flip it. But if you're going to sit on it, what's your plan? What do you, what do you want to do with it? Um, you know, there's plenty of places out there where you can flip cars. And, it, and people do that. And I do that all the time. Uh, it's a great way of making money. Um, but when you talk about investment, that means something sitting for a period of time and gaining in value. Um, like uh, I have, personally, I have an investment car uh, right now that I don't even like. Is um, it? It's not one of the four cars we talked about yesterday on the phone, is it? No, I like those cars. <laughs> uh, he's speaking about. He's talking about my 928 collection. Only guy um, in the world I know who owns four 928s. Why <laughs> but, would you own four 928s? He got because I owned one. It's a long story. I owned one and then somehow ended up with three more in a matter of like four months because people were giving them to me. <laughs> I mean, they're um, cool cars, but yeah. four? Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're magnificent cars. Anyway, the investment car that I got uh, was on the advice of Ed Bolling, who is probably the world's most biggest oh. expert on Lamborghini Mercilagos. And he called me up and he says, you have to buy this car. So I sold a car that I dearly loved, which was a 911S 69, which is a one-year oh. unicorn car um, that I had finished restoring. And I sold that to buy the Lambo. Now, the, here's, a good, here's a good example. So that car had kind of, the 911, it kind of peaked to where it was going to go for the condition that it was in, um, at least for the time being. They haven't accelerated much since then. Except but for the this. Lambo, the, Mer the Mercy, though, uh, he said, buy it. I said, okay. And if Ed tells you to buy something and you have the means and he knows his stuff, you do it. I bought it. Um, I drove it. I don't like it. Um, they're, they're, they're like big Audi Quattros. They're not fun to drive. I don't, I, I, I like cars that try to kill me and that, that those Lambos by then don't do that, but it's a manual transmission roadster mercy. And within the first, six months of ownership, it doubled in value. Wow. 
which the the Porsche could never have done that. Then that's that's lucky. That means you have <laughs> to buy Ed Christmas gifts from now on. Oh, basically, yeah. I gotta. Well, I, I listen. I've been doing free videos for him for four years, so <laughs> yeah, it's time to get. It was time to get paid, right? Yeah. So um, how how long yeah, till you flip? So my the the outlook on those cars because the generation because collector cars are generational. Mm-hmm. Um, and the bell curve on that car, I caught it right at the beginning as it slides through the bell curve. It's probably five to ten years before it reaches it reaches peak value and then starts you know slowing down significantly because mm-hmm. that was it's 2006. That means the kids who had that on their wall when they were in high school or college are coming into their age pretty soon where they can afford these things. It's disposable them. income. Mm-hmm. And uh, so for the next 10 years, that car is going to be fought for because they only built of this particular, of the, of the manual transmission, which makes it special, um, and it's a roadster. They only made 47 of them for North America. So that was mm-hmm. better investment than a 911S, which they made 950 of or whatever. And uh, you can always take the money after you sell it and go find a 911S. Yeah, I can I buy it <laughs> when I'm done. That was that. That is me after years of experience, and it's again, it's a higher end car where you can make the the, the real, real investment money. Uh, I bought it purely sight unseen, no emotion as an investment, and it's paying off. It, it could have gone 180 degrees on that. Um, so aside, and I don't like it. Aside from the standard blue chips the 300 gullwing and uh yeah. 250 gtos and things of that nature are there cars that are i wouldn't say lower end but cars that are non blue chip cars that will always be able to give you a decent return there are there absolutely are but all those cars are known cars right now mm-hmm. there's a few the trick is is to get the cars that have yet to spark, um, and that's where the giant gambles are. So, yeah, you can get the blue chip cars. Everybody knows if you drop your money into uh, McLaren P1, it's a newer car. Those things still are going up. Uh, you, you should have bought a McLaren F1, you know, ten years ago. Oh yeah, you'd be sitting on a whole lot of money. But that was predictable because it's a low production high-end, desirable dream car that even at a million dollars was affordable, uh, that was predictable that was going to go into the tens of millions. Uh, So you have to sit in front of that bell curve, look at the cars that will be coming in in the next five years that aren't hot commodities but are the poster dream cars or rarities or something of of the 2000s. Um, and that's, you know, I work with a lot of my clients on that. So you have to pay for that specific advice. But if you, if you look at the bell curve, if you look at where those, those people are that will be coming into their money and being able to fulfill their desires in five years, you buy that car now, um, you buy five different cars, one of them is going to hit. Yeah. Uh, and we'll pay for the other cars easily. Uh, and then you have to look at buying the best example of it that you can. Stock example. Uh, I had a bunch of clients who were talking about Supras years ago. And I was like, yeah, fourth gen Supra, 
snap them up or buy them stock. And I had one friend of mine like, go, oh, no, this thing's got the so-and-so body kit, and it's got the thing, and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, dude, it doesn't matter. Most people have no idea what that crap is. When you buy an example of something, you buy a perfectly stock. There's no, like, there's, like getting back to like a 250 GTO, there's no one out there with a spoiler and, you know, <laughs> winglets on it and the, you know, the fake exhaust portals from, you know, uh, the, the the dime store. It's, these things these things are stock. I said buy a stock one, and he did it. The guy who was with us in that conversation did. He bought a perfectly beautiful low mileage stock one. He bought it for twenty six thousand dollars, and that car is worth well over a hundred and something now. Yeah. And my my friend's janky weird, you know, modified funky ass thing. He tried to sell it last year and and it didn't even crack like 65 um and he was like oh what's wrong i don't understand and i i i don't usually point and laugh but i did i totally pointed and laughed (laughs) yeah Uh, well when people earn it people earn it brian you move more vintage chevy stuff than anybody else i know in every condition a lot of it has to be put on a trailer and is barely held together by the rest Other stuff that you move ha- is in absolute mint condition. Looks like it just rolled off the showroom floor. Uh, how do you keep your heart out of those transactions? How do you uh, how do you stay with just the numbers? You know, it, it all of them you want to keep. Obviously, you want to keep all of them. But you know, you you set your price, and and somebody comes along and they're willing to pay that price, and you, you know, you just have to tell yourself, well, I'm going to find another one. So I'm going to let this one go in the hopes that I'm going to find another one one day. So that's kind of how I get over the emotion of it. Because uh, usually, yeah, when those when those ones roll into your your lap that are really mint condition, mm-hmm. you're sitting there and you're like, oh, man, I just want to keep this car, but I can't afford to keep but this you, car. But you also have the ability to take stuff, and I've seen some of it. Oh, yeah. Uh, I wanted to have a tetanus shot after I was around <laughs> it. Uh, you, you managed to find stuff that is rare but – oft times in less than stellar condition and you move that too yeah i mean you know a, a lot of the folks that i tend to market to are people that you know they they're looking for parts cars they're looking for all kind of cars to then use to build another car so in in the case that you're talking about the 59 that i sold what early late last year yeah it was pretty much falling apart. You the couldn't stick a magnet to that Yeah, door. the floors were rusted out, pans, all the pans needed replacing. Um, anyway, ended up selling it to a guy in Oklahoma. He was going to take that car and pull all of the upper solid parts that didn't have rust on it to build another car. So, you know, when I'm evaluating cars that I want to buy that I think I'm going to be able to resell, um, they they fall in all in between, but... I would say most of the cars that really attract my eye are those old rust buckets because I know that there's a market of people out there that only want a car just to cut up. So in those cases, you know, your late Chevys, your your 59s, your 60s, somebody's always looking for a parts car for those cars. And you also seem to be pretty good at moving stuff that is not stock. And as an example, I will use my old 61 Impala. You found a buyer for that. Not only did you find a buyer for that, but that buyer bought another guy with him that bought my GTO. Yeah, I I would say that, you know, like I told you before, I said we're going to find a buyer for that car. It was just a matter of time. Um, The car was too nice not to attract somebody to buy that car. 
Um, and it doesn't matter, you know, who it was, whether it be, you know, guys that were in the low riders or guys that wanted muscle cars. It didn't matter. That car was too clean, too nice not to sell. Um, and so I, you know, I knew it was going to sell. It was just a matter of time. No, I appreciate you getting this hold. I'm thrilled to death. Well, I wound up with another Corvette because of it. (laughs) (laughs) Ped, you've got a lot of, uh, clients that you shoot for and, uh, for some strange reason, they trust you with your cars. They'll just throw you the keys and let you take off on them. I, I need to find that circle of friends, but among those people that you've, uh, you've shot cars for. Do most of them buy those cars with with emotion, or do they have a rationale for it? Do they buy them looking at a future uh, uh, return on them? Uh, what do you see out of your clients? So, in general, people that use automotive photographers as private individuals, um, unless they're doing auction, magazine, catalog photography, they're the type that buy for emotion. They they they're the guy that wanted the Murcielago. They're the guy that wanted the Countach or the, you know, the Corvette or whatever when they was growing up. You know, they're, they're uh, one of my favorite clients is a guy from uh, Nevada that ha- collects panhards. Nobody on the planet but him wants them. You know, there's a hundred in the country. I want one. I love panhards. Then I'll put you in touch with that guy. We've had him on the show. <laughs> but, but you know what I mean? Like he has a super. Well, he had a super rare PL2, which I think there's six in the country. The problem is there's seven people in the country that want to own one. So, like, there's a lot of emotion wanting it. It's super rare, but it's a $40,000 car in mint condition. And it looks like a bar. Um, so. I do have some clients that um, drive part of their collection really hard, and they speculate on the other half. Uh, one of my clients has sold his GT350 and made really good money on it after holding it for two years. Um, not as much money as John made, is making on his Lambo, but good money. all right so now we're going to dip our toe into the emotional side of this and that's part of the reason i wanted you here tonight Corey, is you bought that unbelievable uh overlander tell us about uh vanzilla yeah (laughs) Tell, tell tell us about your rv um it is a uh 2022 Storyteller Overland. It's built on a 144 chassis Mercedes Sprinter, 144 4x4, and it is decked out to the teeth. Uh, yeah, I know. So whatever, uh, whatever you feel like uh, amenities you want in an RV, it's in it, and they have it in a 144 wheelbase. Smallest high-roof Sprinter built, and it still kind of all fits and is compact. Typically... To get the amenities this had, it'd probably be in a much, much bigger. I, so I, have, I have an idea oh, what you gave for that thing. I was absolutely blown away. That's the most money I've seen somebody drop on a wheeled vehicle that isn't an exotic. And can you kind of walk us through the the rationale for buying that? What What was your emotional reason for buying that? Uh, because it's it's freaking amazing, <laughs> man! It is cool. It's really cool. Well, and the thing is, is what what the year before that I bought, I, I finally got my first Porsche. Yeah, you and, got your and, and I still you got your Cayman, which it's, is a very cool little car. Yeah. Have you driven a second set of tires off it yet? No, not not quite. But I'm sure I, I uh, this last weekend um, chiseled quite a bit of it off <laughs> driving through the uh, state of Arkansas. Okay. 
but it, but anyways, uh, the, the the van it's it's just the, there's no there's no future selling it. No, there's no even though we could turn around and flop it right no, now. No, and, but and, I will say this: when we did uh, the show remote from the great car show, Corey pulled his van up, threw the awning out. And as soon as we set the table up and our gear, we were good to go. We had a base of operations. And at that one point, I had to quit giving Corey crap about buying that van. The thing was fantastic. Uh, We had a lounge. We had a fridge. We had everything we needed right there all all at once. And it was very cool. Um, But And it looks like you you could take it anywhere. Have you taken it off-road yet? Yes. Okay, how to go? How to do? Not too bad. Uh, I expected I was gonna uh, go a little bit more like rougher areas uh, because uh, we took ten days out, went to Arizona, Utah, Colorado. Okay. And originally in Arizona, we were meeting up with another group, and we were gonna do some overlanding, stay off the beaten path for pretty much oh eight days, probably All right. straight. And unfortunately, there was a lot of people that had canceled. There's a lot of things that was going on, and then some of them revised where they went. Well. We were like, no, we want to stick with the path we were going. That's the area we want to go. We didn't want to go. We didn't want to revise it so much. So we ended up kind of going on our own. And with that said, you know, if anybody who's listening has ever gone off-roading, it's much, much nicer to go with somebody else. Yes. Mm-hmm. Because uh, you get in trouble. It's just easier to get your belt out. Sure. Um, but but on that, we still went uh, through Utah. We're, we're going through some dirt. And all of a sudden, they start to turn a little bit of rocky. And I'm like, this is an actual road? I mean, it's just like I wouldn't take any of my other cars on this thing. Outside <laughs> it's of my Jeep. called overlanding. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but they had street signs on them. Like there were roads uh-huh. like out in the middle of nowhere in Utah. Uh-huh. And, just uh, not maintained. Yeah, no, not really. So when you decided you wanted to do this and you have a spouse, as all of us do, mm-hmm. how did you explain to your wife and then how did you make her understand? <laughs> how did you justify it to her? This is the weird part. That was the other way around. Really? Yes. It was more her idea and convinced me. And since we have it, it's the best thing we've ever owned. Oh, okay. <laughs> it just I happens to be it. the most expensive purchase yeah. we ever made. And we bought some, two houses. Needed something bigger in German. Yeah, you yeah. Just, yeah. Need, just need to marry a loon. That's okay. Guys, we need to expand the German fleet. We need to introduce your wife to my wife. And her around Ferraris. <laughs> so, Ped, you have a, a, a car in mind. You've got one you've been shopping for for a long time. And uh, you're, I assume, still moving toward that. Uh, how is your search going? I know prices are starting to come down a little bit now. How close are you? Are you still going to buy this? So um, the car he's talking about is AMG, either GTS or GTR. Uh, I was actually on track for around next June, and then I decided to drop an insane amount of money going to 100th anniversary of Le Mans. So that's been pushed out a year, but um, yeah, I'm still you, studying them. You've invited me, and I'm considering doing that against all you know sane advice. It's 100th anniversary of the 24 Hours of Le Mans. What's not sane about going and spending... Two weeks in France. The list of restaurants that. you're going to. <laughs> you don't have to go to the Michelin's with me. No, John but, can. No. I'm, I'm ready. I'll give you five bucks to eat the snail here. John's got, a, to do John's got a duffel bag he's putting stuff into right now. I got room in the tent, John. Come on. <laughs> they he just does, have smellier cheese in he France. Does like I mean, come on. I'll, I'll bring the caviar and champagne for the trip. 
There we go. Oh wow! <laughs> I think you've got a. I think you got a travel partner with you. So tell us about the AMG. So um, it AMG is would be once again emotional. Um, so I love the noise, the sound. Um, they're they're too mass produced in my opinion, long term. Unless I go with like a black series. Uh, to be an investment car. It's just something I can get in, go stupid fast on the weekend with buddies, and a couple years hopefully not lose too much money on if I don't blow the engine in the meantime. Okay. And color. Color's got to be the big separator for you. What what color? Um, honestly, they make this really dark red, which not, not – uh, it, and it's really perfect for that car. It okay. kind of gives it a weird tameness, which it's You know not. he's looking at this car thinking, how am I going to shoot it? So oh. – Actually, it would be that color would be horrid to shoot. Really? So, yeah, because it'd be dark and dark doesn't light well, and you have to do all kinds of weird crap. And that's probably why he hasn't asked to shoot my van yet. <laughs> you to invite me overlanding. That, that has to be shot. Overlanding. All right, Mark. Let's get down to it. Everybody who listens to the show and is familiar with uh, with your taste knows what you're chasing, what you're into. Uh, what stripe of giant ugly Mopar with <laughs> with Craigers? Well, you've already said it all. Uh, <laughs> it's got to be ugly and Craigers. For and those Mopar. of you who are unfamiliar with Mark's taste, he likes something with a hood the size of an aircraft carrier. Deck. I like big butts, and I cannot. Hey, I'm with you. <laughs> and Craigers. What is what is it you would have if you had the money in your hand right this minute? If actually, if I had the money, if if that wasn't the uh, uh, the deal, it would probably be a 1960 Desoto or a 1960 Chrysler. Because uh, did I've you see John's head pop up there and with a look <laughs> with a look of pure disgust? It's got a 413 in it, and what is it? The Lion 413, and uh, and then it's got a um, a front end on it that just looks like a krill eating toothless shark. <laughs> Some type of bottom yes. floating monster that just goes around, doesn't hurt anybody. With Craigers. But yeah, and Craigers. Uh, as God is my witness, I really badly want, if, again, this is if money is no object, I would want that little record player that drops out underneath the dash because that oh, would just, yeah. that would kick ass. I really, so, honest to God, thought you were going to say that 60 Dodge Monica or Dodge Matador we saw oh, I, I, yeah, a couple years ago. Second that, choice? Hells that, yeah. Put that on the list. The white so, on white. Basically, you want the only cars in the world that less people want to own than Panhard. <laughs> okay, you shut up first. And the second, the funny thing is, of course, the minute that I started liking this and all the prices started going up because everybody in Norway was buying all the cool Chryslers, um, the to find a model like that in in like really proper mint condition, you're talking anywhere from fifty to eighty thousand dollars. Yeah. Uh, they're they're surprisingly rare. Uh, yeah, yeah, uh, which is sucks. But because I had a chance to buy one for eight thousand, and I balked, and uh, and regret it to the, my dying day. But uh, um, it it would be something large like that, or even the mid sixties Chryslers. Would you even uh, go? Uh, would you skip over to Mercury and get yourself at Park Lane Breezeway? Hell's yeah, okay. yeah. As long as it's got that roll down back window, that's gotta be in there. Uh, the only other thing, and again, it's you know right there at the at the turn of the sixty, uh, there is a Lincoln that was made there that's got the kind of slightly angled headlights, mm-hmm. and it looks like that's a Continental. If Barbie was a gun carrying prostitute, 
that would be her car. It's it's a low slab of ugly, and I just adore it. And again, you know what it would have on it? Craigers. 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 Done. Uh, all right, John. Bingo. Uh, aside from a 69 911S and possibly in Bahama yellow, uh, what would... What's your uh, what's your emotional pick? What's your irrational emotional car? I, I've made a lot of irrational emotional choices in my life, um, and they were conscious. <laughs> I, I knew I was going down a bad bad road. Um, I know this is bad for me, but I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I I had a, I have an obsession with six wheel. Um, I don't know where it came from as a kid, but I bought uh, not one, not two. But three GMC mobile homes from the early seventies, <laughs> and huh. there is no upside in buying one of these ever. The four fifty four front might, wheel drive. Yeah, front wheel drive. I mean, I I love the vehicle. It's a great vehicle. At the time, it was, it was the first RV ever built to be an RV rather than like something stuffed out of truck truck chassis. Um, they drove great. They got great gas mileage. I mean, I'm a, I'm still a fan of them, but it was an emotional choice, and you just it's not. It's not even like you know. People talk about throwing money in a pit from when they put it into a car, right? But eventually, that pit's going to fill up, and you'll have money. <laughs> this is more like just putting it with a blowtorch and just watching it and getting a little bit of heat, going ah, and it's over, and it's it. It's like it's gone. <laughs> so, so John, I have um, to know. Did you do any like the rendezvous rendezvous with the other guys that I buy these? I never did that. Oh man, I so wanted to, but they're always in some kind of <laughs> obscure place like Wisconsin or. You know where people still live for those things, but I, I always wanted to because I got to say the GMC mobile home community is just a bunch of wonderful people. I was they hoping have, you would say that you converted one of them to an EM50 from Stripes. That's <laughs> I, that's still on my list. <laughs> I tell you, the truth, if I if I find one that runs that is completely like that, it would cost much money. It would just be stupid. And that believe me, that's still on my one of my crazy lists. That that was a completely emotional buy. Um, I did get lucky um, that uh, I sold all of them for a profit, which I didn't think was even possible because of COVID. You couldn't buy an RV during COVID, and so I was kind of done with them mentally and trying to keep up with them. Because when you have an RV, as somebody might know here, that. Uh, you're not only buying a car, you're buying a house. And you got to fix both those things. He's talking about you, and, dude. <laughs> am I? Am I? Um, good thing, good thing so I, during COVID, I, put, I was like, things were selling for stupid money. So I doubled what I thought all of them were worth. And they all sold within a week. Wow. So it tripled them. And it was like, it was like, you know, walking out. Like, you, you see those giant wave competitions for surfers, right? Mm-hmm. And... You see some monster wave, and it comes. It comes down, and the guy's surely dead. And then he walks out of the surf. That was me. <laughs> I was like, "Oh, I got away with it!" Like, holy <laughs> shit! <laughs> All righty. What's the best or worst rationalization all of you have heard for buying a car? And, and I've I've got I've got the best worst one, uh, Brian. Worst rational, worst or best? Yolo. You only live once, right? So. Okay. <laughs> that that's. That, I think that one's. Uh, <laughs> you've seen everybody's seen somebody do that. <laughs> Corey. Yeah, you can't take your money with you. So I mean, I, I, I that's that actually. Yeah. 
There you that's, go. That's, that is so, a pretty good pad, one. But I mean, so I have a client that uh, daily is an S class. He's never changed a set of tires on his S class. When when tires are due, it's time for a new one. Oh, you're kidding? No. Wow. Um, I can't even relate to that, Mark. It'd be my dad. Well, the warranty's about to run out. I better buy a new one. Ah, uh, okay. Thanks, Dad. <laughs> uh, it probably doesn't apply, apply to much to collector cars, although, you know, hell, it, it's it's. Oh, he that collected goes, cars, all right. Yeah, that goes along. Most of them sucked, but <laughs> that, that goes along with the the tires, the warranty. John, worst rationalization. Um. I'm going to fix it up, and I'm going to make a bunch of money. Yeah, that ain't going to happen. <laughs> yeah. Okay, uh, worst rationalization, and I actually got this past my wife, but you all know Rhonda, so you know this is this is possible. I told her I got a red Corvette, I got a blue Corvette, I need a white Corvette. And she said, yeah, yeah, you do. So when does the you 69 do? deliver? <laughs> I'm still looking for the right one, damn it. <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, worst collector car dream any or all of you have yet to fill? Uh, so uh, my lottery car, the 74 Porsche 911 Carrera 2.1 RSR, this iconic Ooh. blue chip. Yeah, yeah, look at Guaranteed John. value gain <laughs> yeah. and emotion. Yeah, look at Johnny yeah. sitting in his own sauce. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's on my list. Oh. Okay, John, uh, you and Pat are going together. you got to find a pair of them. Corey. What, what do you want that you haven't been able to fulfill and might not, but would still do if you could? Lottery win. Career GT. Career GT. Not a bad choice. Doubling by the day. Yeah, no kidding. Brian? Um, this is for nostalgia's sake. Um, a 1972 International Scout. No kidding. Nice. Yeah. I wouldn't have guessed that. Not uh, with the Impala. I just look w- like this. Wouldn't have called that. Scouts are cool. Mark, lottery win. Uh, you know what? If I could just waste money, I would love to have a gremlin. <laughs> but I, I would drop an enormous eight-cylinder in it. Leave it to I would probably do an LS one. Leave it to Mark. But Mark. I'd, I'd have a gremlin, and I would tub out the back and put the fattest <laughs> tires I could on the back of it. This Mark's going to go you, full Hot Wheels and LS swap a gremlin oh, yeah, with the engine some, in the back. Some type of violently wretched green. <laughs> there's there's a the lady. largest Kregers you've ever seen. You are not wrong. <laughs> There's a lady that brings oh. a gremlin to great car show every year. Be perfect. For you it. have an illness, and I'm so proud of you. That's fantastic. I'm not lying. Um, probably uh, a '67 Corvette L88, or a, a real 427 Cobra. I'd really, and I don't know how long I would survive it, but I'd like to drive it a few times. I, I really prefer you didn't get that one because um, I really like those cars. Do you? I really, really like those cars. And, you, you know, like, this get a replica. You have no <laughs> faith in me whatsoever. <laughs> no, no, I drove one. Just wanna, this get a replica. He just doesn't want to associate All, all the cool stupid stuff you, I've survived all. so far, you really think I wouldn't make it through that? <laughs> There's not much there for you to protect you in that one. Like, that's a low survivability rate. Hey, I haven't wrecked anything since you've known me. So there. Uh, all righty, guys. Always the best question of the whole, whole show. What's the dumbest thing each of you have done in a car this year? Uh, usually it's ever. Brian's the only person who hasn't been on before, so it's it's open to lifetime for you. Dumbest thing you've done in a car this year, Mark? Oh, God. Uh 
uh, bought a different one. I think, quite honestly, <laughs> I keep trying to to buy them, and uh, you know, the Nissan has been a, a learning experience. Yes, but uh, the I'll dumbest you thing know I a usually lot more do in them, those than you did. I do now. You are not wrong. <laughs> Thanks for asking, <laughs> John. Dumbest car thing you've done in a year, and you've oh, got a great story. Come on, bring it. I it, definitely uh, the Fourth of July. We resurrected a. 1974 Jaguar sedan with a Chevy small block that had been sitting in his driveway for 12 years, and we drove it from Reno, Nevada to Alaska and jumped it off a cliff for the 4th of July. <laughs> wow. I'm so which included, proud of you. Which included a 1,500-mile detour through British Columbia. But is that the dumbest thing or the coolest thing? Come on now. In my life, in my life, they're connected. They are totally connected. There you go. There you go. I try to do cool things, but usually they're just really ill-advised. <laughs> Ped, dumbest car thing this year. Um, I rented a uh, Mustang convertible when I was shooting uh, Express Rally, and I got a tic- I got a ticket for a hundred and five and a. 55. Oh, shit. <laughs> and, and, um, Cop walked up to you laughing. <laughs> actually, he was, he was in pretty good mood. Um, he was kind of surprised I was in a good mood. Uh, I topped the hill at 140. So, anyways, um, and the other thing I did on that with that same rail car, um, the track said, you know, if you go down this gravel road, there's a really good view of corner six. Well, the gravel road became dirt and then it became mud <laughs> and i'm in a convertible v6 and by the time i get back to the parking lot it looks like i've been mud bogging um and uh the rental car company did not appreciate the mud inside the mustang oh <laughs> that's that's too Ouch. bad Corey, dumbest thing in a car this year it would have to include one of the car rallies i went on and in my car even though the capability that it is, I'm on rallies that have cars that are performance oriented way beyond. Well, my your, your Cayman is not slow. The horsepower, they're they're they're, they're more handled. They got twice the tires that are that are twice as fat, and uh, I am hanging with them left and right and passing them, and having some of them having a hard time keeping up with me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then later on, I'm really trying to shorten this up. Later on, going, hey, I gotta look uh, look like uh, look under my car for something. I looked under, and I was like, wow, I've got cords showing on the inside of my tires. <laughs> oh lord, I thought it was a little slippery in the back. <laughs> so not knowing my tires are that way, and at the same time, this trip topping the speed out of the car. Uh, probably less than advisable. All and right, now going back, Brian, dumbest thing in a car. Uh, let me see. Uh, earlier this year, as my good friend Brett would say, I was in the cockroaches of cars, a 2007 <laughs> Toyota Camry. Who is? Uh, you see, I was trying to race somebody, and I had my my new driving daughter in the car, and I oh, decided no. to punch it, and I blew up the transmission. So <laughs> <laughs> she didn't want the car. After is that, that how that works, Dad? You're yeah. just showing her, you know, this is what you don't do, because yeah. this is what will happen. Right? Yeah. You don't yeah. power break a front-wheel drive car, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. I like that. We have been speaking with John Ficara, Ped Watt, Brian Boyd, and Corey Pratt. Uh, you can find all of, well, I'll tell you what, let's do. Corey, website or YouTube channel? Uh, Craving Cars on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. Uh, and if you have any questions or anything, it's cravingcars at gmail.com. Ped. 
whatdesignphotography.com or the rally on Amazon. There you go. Brian. Yep. Westsider OG on IG um, or Westsider OG at gmail.com if you want uh, any or if you have any interest in any kind of uh, Impalas or Chevy. Yeah, yeah, Chevy Metal. You gotta like it. Gentlemen, thank you all for being with us this week. I really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you very much. Awesome. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Thank you so much for spending time with Driven Radio. We love what we do, and we wouldn't be able to do it without the support of our listeners. You can find us online at DrivenRadioShow.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Driven Radio Show. And listen, oh, by the way, new edition. You can find us on LinkedIn now at the Driven Radio what? Show podcast. That's like so official. Yeah, it is. Holy cow, that's like business. Oh, and thanks to all of our new uh, uh, Japanese listeners. Yes, we Konnichiwa, yeah, bro. We, we had a big jump in Japanese listeners this That's week. Awesome. Hello, I, Japan. I, Love you. Uh, you can listen everywhere fine podcasts are heard. One more note I will be on the Cars Yeah podcast with Mark Green. That airs November nice. 1st. Uh, I am Brett Hells Hatfield yeah. for Mark Groves, Ped yep. Watt, Brian Boyd, Corey Pratt of Craving Cars. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time here on Driven Radio.